0: If you'll join with me, our scripture passage is from John 15:12 through 17. And in our Pew Bibles, this is page 901. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We are in a section of scriptures known as the Upper Room Discourse. We've been here for a while, since chapter 13. This is right before Jesus' arrest and his death on the cross, Chapter 13 is when he washed his disciples' feet and kind of started on this discourse that Jesus is doing in the upper room. We'll continue through this through chapter 17 where Jesus prayed his longest prayer in the New Testament that's recorded for us. And the hope is for us to take these last chapters in John as part of our Lenten series, preparing us for Easter, where we're going to land on John chapter 20, and hopefully helping us to become more like Christ. Um, Stephanie read through verse 17. Let me continue reading our passage for this morning, starting in verse 18 and all the way through verse 27. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. Imagine what the disciples were thinking as Jesus shared these words with them. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And they must have been thinking, what? What are you talking about? Jesus, how, how can it be that we've followed you, the sinless Lord of the world, the Prince of Peace, the Lamb of God, the Holy One, Father of Light, Prince of Glory, Savior, Lord of Life, all these wonderful, beautiful things, and you're saying the world hates you and they're going to hate us? All the people Jesus healed. All the miracles that Jesus performed. The dead he raised to life. And they hate you? and they're gonna persecute you Jesus the personification of mercy of joy of peace of love of kindness of grace they're gonna persecute you and hate you and in turn persecute us and hate us it's not that Jesus didn't give them a fair warning about this he spoke about this at the Sermon of the Mount if you look back to the Sermon of the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 starting in verse 10 Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for the reward is great in heaven, for they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And this is part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. If the Lord is with us, The Holy Spirit is in us, the things that were against Jesus will also be against us. And the more we become like Jesus, the more likely there will be a resistance, an opposition against us. It's the character of the enemy and all those who are with the enemy to resist Jesus. And so the more that we are faithful to Jesus, the more opposition we face. It's the sinful nature of humanity. And we are to expect this hostility. We are to expect this persecution, this hatred. They hated Jesus, they will also hate you. They persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute you. Now why did they hate and persecute Jesus when he did all of these wonderful things? Because the presence of Jesus exposes the sin within people. It exposes all of that. And the presence of Jesus exposes people's rejection of the Heavenly Father. When we serve people, love them, extend compassion, and yet we're met with hostility, how do we explain this? You're doing nothing but extending kindness and you're giving of yourself. You're sacrificing your own time and effort and resources to help somebody, but then there's this opposition towards you. I don't know if you've faced this before. I've faced this a lot, especially in helping the community. And when we're like trying to do something good and then you get this backlash from it, there's something happening that is much deeper spiritually when people come to realize like it's more than just food, or a jacket, or something like that. Because that's all it is sometimes for us. In our morning breakfast to the homeless community, we're, we're giving them food, we're giving them clothing. Happy and Gary aren't out there like saying offensive things to them, and yet oftentimes they're faced with opposition. We've had to hire a security guard to be there because of the opposition, right? It's illogical. It's an unreasonable thing. We are trying to help the community, yet we have to, like, protect the people that serve through, like, investing in security for them. But it happens so often because Jesus exposes sin and people get defensive when the sin is exposed. Right? So when you say the smallest of things, when you share the smallest of things, they get these defensive walls and they start backlashing some way. Now, part of being a Christian is that the world will hate you. And why is that? It's exposing these wounds that they don't know are there or that are just being pulled away. And I liken it to when you're trying to help someone who's hurting. Right? They pull away, right? They don't want you to touch that wound. I have a, I don't know what to call it, a metabolic problem within myself. I'm sharing a lot of, sorry. It's an ailment that I deal with, and it attacks my joints, right? And so when I have these flare-ups, I can't walk. Like, they're so painful, and I can't do anything about it. So I go to the doctor one day, and I'm at the doctor, and and he's like, you know, the only way I can really test your levels is if I pull liquid out of the joint with a syringe. And I was like, doctor, um, if you do that, I'm going to jail, because I'll knock you out. And he was like, well, that's the only way. I was like, no, just prescribe the medicine. If it works, then you know it's that. Like, you don't have to put me in more pain than I already am. I barely walked in here. So he finally agreed, and it helped. But it's kind of like that, right? We don't want our wounds touched when we're already hurting. It's not something that we like. And I I had this dog. I, I love this dog. His name is Joey. Some of you who have been here for a while know Joey. My sister gave him to me as a little puppy on my 30th birthday, right? He was with me before I had children. And I loved this dog, and he stepped on something where he was, like, limping. And I tried to look at it, and his paws, like, bleeding. And it was, like, this huge metal shard that, like, got stuck in him. I was just imagining, like, this dog would never bite me. Like, this dog loves me. Like, this dog loves me. So I just tell him to lay down, and he lays down, and... I start working it and I'm pulling at this thing and I get it out and and he's like pulling away because it hurts a lot but he lets me do this procedure I'm playing like vet right now and I clean out his wound and I do it and I patch it up I butterfly the bandage and all this stuff and but I was thinking like if it was just like some dog that didn't know me you just pull some dog off the street they growl at you they'll snap at you they'll try to bite you it's because they don't know their master and it's kind of like that with us and people Like when they don't know the master and that the master is actually trying to help you. But instead there's like a hatred being put out there because we hurt even though the intent is to heal us. And in exposing all these different things, it's just like this hostility, this hatred flows out because they don't know that God is trying to actually heal us. See, darkness is disturbed by light. Death is disturbed by life. Your wounds, your diseases, your, all these things are disturbed by the healing touches and things that, that can heal us. And sometimes the hatred is really obvious and sometimes it's, it's really hidden. You go to parts of Asia or Africa and it's very obvious like the persecution is obvious. People are losing their lives. And here it's a little bit more hidden. But you and I feel it. But you and I don't get killed for our faith here and here it's strange because I think it's acceptable to be hostile towards Christians things can be said to us that could never be said to another religion right things can be said about us and how we stand for things or what we stand for all these different things and I think a lot of it's because it's a misunderstanding of what we really are all about You know, when people look at Christianity, maybe they think in their head it's a list of rules or it's a list of things that we're supposed to live up to or that we're a morality police or, or there's all these different things when the simple thing about Christianity is that we're in communion with God. And it's not necessarily things that we're trying to do out of our own earning of salvation. That God has saved us, that was a gift and the effort put in is a response to the love that we've received, the grace and the mercy we've received. It's not because we're trying to earn our salvation or earn our way towards heaven. He has gifted that towards us. So there's a complete misunderstanding of our faith. And the thing is that the most important relationship to focus on, we've sometimes misplaced ourselves as Christians. There are Many Christians who I think have been led astray by thinking the most important relationship that we have is with the world. That it's with other people. To think in order for the world or other people that don't know Christ to accept us, to like us, we have to be like them. We have to minister to them in such a way that sometimes it is compromising. No, the scriptures tell us the world will hate us, that the world will persecute us, that there is hostility towards us. And so instead of putting more into those relationships and the world, the relationship that we really need to focus on is that of us and Jesus. That's the focus on Jesus who calls us friend. Look at verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. The world may hate us for following Jesus, but Jesus has called you friend. Now do you understand the magnitude of this? This is huge, that God has called you friend. The creator of the universe has called you a friend. All-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, all-loving God has identified you as his friend. Just think about a hero in your life or the person that you've admired the most in your life, who you look up to, a notable person, whoever that may be. And that person turns around and calls you friend. In college, there were a lot of us students who looked up to our Old Testament theology professor. He's an author, and he teaches all over the place, all over the world. Everyone referred to him as Dr. So-and-so. I can't reveal his name to you, because then if he hears this, he's going to get mad at me, because he's very humble. So he wouldn't approve of my admiration for him at all. Like, he would not approve of this. I always referred to him as Dr. So-and-so, because I had so much respect for him. I had so much admiration for him. He's led me through so many things in my life, and we regularly met even after college. After college, we met every week at a Wendy's, and he'd buy me a Frosty's or whatever that thing was, 99-cent thing, and some fries. So he spent two bucks on me every week. He was very nice. And one day, he was just like, stop calling me Dr. So-and-so. Call me by his first name. I've had this professor for like four years already. He's always been Dr. So-and-so. Even years after, when we met regularly, he's been Dr. So-and-so. And then all of a sudden, like seven years later, call me my first name. I was shocked. I was like, I, we're, this means we're friends. Like, I can call you by his first name. Like we're, we're like friends now, right? Like something changed from being his student and disciple all those years to now we're friends. You don't have to call me Dr. So-and-so. Don't call me that anymore. Jesus calls you friend. What does that mean? Look back to verse 15. The servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Friends do. Right? Friends do. I'm bringing you into my plans. I'm sharing everything with you. I'm, I'm sharing all the intimate details with you. Right? Like, it's kind of like you're close friends. You, you don't share all the stuff with your work colleagues or your classmates or... Other people, right? But with your friends, you share all those things. What's going at home? What's going on with your relationships? What's going on with your fine? Like you share all these intimate details like friends do. And Jesus is telling us, I don't have secrets with you. I'm not keeping anything from you. I'm not hiding anything from you. Here are all the plans that we have for you. My Heavenly Father, me, the Holy Spirit. These are all the plans. I'm sharing everything with you. It's all out in the open. It's all transparent. It's all exposed. Nothing's hidden from you because we're friends. See, this is the thing that people who view Christianity wrongly are misinterpreting about us. They have this negative view of Christianity. They really don't have any idea what we have. That God calls us friends and he has revealed everything to us. They're thinking about like this works thing. They're thinking about this morality police thing. They're thinking about all these different things that Christians do or stand for or whatever. When the reality of it is, is like, no, God has befriended us. And therefore he has shared all of his plans with us. And that's what I want to share with you guys. I want to share with you God's plans. I want to have you be friends with God. All these other things you think it is? No. God loves you. And God has shared with us his blessing, his power, comfort, peace, love, joy. And that's what I want to share with you guys. And whatever they think it is, it tends to be something negative. Whatever it's like a politicized thing, like all you Christians believe this. In politics all you Christians think this or stand for this but what we really have is this deeper intimacy with God to help us better understand what God has already done for us Paul wrote this in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 starting in verse 3 share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. I don't know if you find this disturbing, but I do. This word share. Share in suffering. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We're not experiencing anything that Jesus himself didn't go through. And yet, here it is, we share in the suffering with Jesus, our friend. And the focus isn't our relationship with the world that hates us, it is with Jesus, our friend. It is with the Heavenly Father. Look at the latter part of verse 15. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. So with Jesus, you're my friend, and everything the Heavenly Father has shared with Jesus, Jesus is sharing with us. So when you face hatred, hostility, when you experience pain, suffering, and harm, when people demean you and offend you, you can lean on everything that Jesus has taught us. Everything we have in the word of God we can rely on because it's not just a book of words. It is the living word of God whom we have fellowship with. Take a look at 1 John chapter 1 starting in verse 1. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We know God. We love God. And in the midst of our troubles, which everyone experiences, we have God. Not everyone does. And that is hell when you don't have the presence of God with you. That's hell. We have friendship with Jesus. We have fellowship with the Heavenly Father. And then there's this other relationship that we have that the world does not have. Look at verse 26. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. This Helper, this Comforter, we've looked at this a little more detailed before, looking at them as the Counselor. We looked at the helper as two types of counselor. One as a legal counselor and then the other as a personal counselor. That word paraclete, the Greek word paraclete, encompasses all those definitions of comforter, helper, counselor, whether it is a personal counselor or a legal counsel. And the spirit of truth is the one who comes to defend us, like a legal counsel, Right? And when we looked at that legal counsel back in the Palestinian days, they chose their closest friend to be a witness for them, to testify on their behalf. It wasn't necessarily a legal advisor. It was somebody that would give credibility to the relationship, to say, like, this guy, I've known him for 30 years, and I can completely attest to his character. He would never do something like that, or he would do this. And that's kind of the representation that we're seeing with this helper, this spirit, this counsel. That the spirit of truth is one who comes to defend us. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit from the Father, and the Holy Spirit will bear witness about Jesus. Now look at verse 27. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So far we know Jesus as friend and we will bear witness about Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit who has been with us from the beginning and that this friendship has also garnered a fellowship with the Heavenly Father. Now that we have this friendship, we have this fellowship with God, we have this empowerment by the Holy Spirit, how are you and I going to respond to hateful, hostile, words, deeds from the world that are directed at us. The Holy Spirit will come. He will bear witness about Jesus. And you and I will also bear witness about Jesus. Now there are some Christians, I being one of them, I'm guilty of this when things are going rough, tough for me, who say things like, I can't wait to be with Jesus. I can't wait for him to come back. I say that often. I'm like, I I hope he comes back soon. I really do. I completely understand that sentiment. Right? Especially when you're going through some really difficult things. Here's the thing. He has plans for you. And while you're here, it means He's not done with you. He has a purpose for you. We all probably like comfort, Safety, for things to be conflict-free, right? We, we all like that. It makes for a much more peaceful existence. Who likes suffering? Who likes pain? Right? We, we desire to be pain-free, right? We, we don't want that. We want to be suffering-free. Unfortunately, we are not exempt from those things as children of God. In fact, we're told we will face those things. Not only within ourselves, but we will have this world putting those things upon us. And witness to the world is that in the face of all these things, we are still able to show them God. That's our witness. That's why we're given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to bear witness about Jesus, and so will you. And this has been church history throughout the ages, all throughout church history. The church has always been persecuted somewhere in the world. There's always been some hostility. There's always been some hatred, some places more than others, some places more evident than others, some places more subtle than others, but always hated, always persecuted. And even through that, we are called to bear witness to the world that is hardened toward Jesus To point this dark world to the light of Jesus that is going to hurt their eyes. To point them to the healing of Jesus while they're hurting, they're going to shy away from that. But we bear witness about Jesus, but it is the Holy Spirit who is the key witness of Jesus Christ. We're not going to convert anyone. You and I don't have that power. It is by the Holy Spirit. It will be the Holy Spirit who transforms people's hearts. And the church makes so many mistakes. You don't have to look far. Within our own church, like within our own home groups, within our own fellow. Like we, we make so many mistakes. One of the mistakes that the church does is we try to appease the world and the people of the world. That's a mistake. It's a mistake. The relationships that we are to focus on are with Jesus, the Heavenly Father, and the Counselor. They are the ones who bring people out of darkness into the light. They are the ones who will direct our path. And it's not to be outside of fellowship with God or with Jesus or the Holy Spirit towards the world or towards people. It needs to be in sync in humility and submitting to what the living word of God says and letting that guide us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you for your friendship. Thank you for not leaving us alone, that you've provided us a helper, that you've brought us into fellowship with God. We pray as this Lent season has already begun And we have attempted getting our hearts ready for Easter. And in these last words that you're giving us in this upper room discourse, Lord, may they sink in deeper to us this season than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen. Anyone needing communion elements, please hold up your hands and we can get that over to you. Susanna is in the right front pew and Mike in the left front pew if anyone is wanting prayer. The upper room is where Jesus did this Passover that we participate in, partake in as communion. Breaking that bread where Jesus says, this is my body. So we realize the sacrifice Jesus made so that we have friendship with him that we have fellowship with God, and then he sends us the Holy Spirit through his death. We take this in Jesus' name. The fruit of the vine symbolizing the blood of Christ shed for us. You know, in the Old Testament days, it was sacrifices that were living with the sacrifice they died. With Christ, we have a living sacrifice. He who has risen again. And we take this in remembrance of what he has done. In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for cleansing us of our sins through your living sacrifice. You are not a God who is dead. You are the living God who is indwelling us with your spirit. I pray, Lord, that through all of our mistakes, that we are able to lean on you through everything. For those of us who are going through challenges, difficulties, troubles, suffering, pain, I pray, Lord, that you would give them patience and ability to see eternity, knowing that you are not done with your friends, in Jesus' name.